Hi, I'm Willem Lang. I've been exploring the wilds and waters of New England for more than 70 years. Join me and New Hampshire PBS for some adventures on the trail with my podcast, Words from the Wild with Willem Lang. Come on, Jonathan, I pleaded. We better snap it up or we're going to get really wet. Jonathan, for his part, appeared utterly unmoved by our imminent plight. Videographers, the very fussy about damage to their precious electronics, are personally like the proverbial snapping turtle that won't let go until it thunders. Jonathan was even worse. It was really thundering. A regular artillery duel was developing behind my left shoulder, and he appeared to have absolutely no intention of letting go or taking cover. There was, in fact, no cover to take. Our unpitched tent lay flat on the grass of our campsite. I'd brought the Geriatric Society's big North Face Mountain Dome because of its capacity to easily house two campers and a pile of camera equipment. But putting it up is, as Robert Frost says, not just button, button, who's got the button. It requires a little experience, intelligence, and time. We were short on at least two counts, and the thunderstorm was almost upon us. Just give me a couple more of the open, Jonathan said, as calm as could be. Vainly trying to match his sang-froid, I began the 40-second introduction. Welcome to Windows to the Wild. I'm Willem Lang. Today we're presenting one of a series of programs that show the beauty. I went all the way through it. My memory much improved by desperation. Good, said my tormentor. Now, once more, I'm going to start with the meadow and the river this time and pan to you. When I nod, you start. The next few minutes are as 19th century explorers used to write, better imagined than described. But Jonathan was finally either satisfied that he had his shot or satisfied that he was about to die. We got the tent up as the front edge of the storm reached the far edge of the field, 500 yards away. We got the waterproof fly over it and pegged down and the cameras inside just as it reached our side of the field. We scrambled in ourselves and then watched in awe as the deluge drummed on our waterproof wanagon and dry bags outside. Supper was out of the question for the duration. But survival seemed likely, unless the big silver maple waving wildly over us chose this storm to succumb. Happy as a lark, Jonathan shot what had to be great footage of sizzling lightning strikes, thrashing trees, and flying clumps of leaves and cannon-like thunder. An hour later, the rain had thinned to a patter on the tent, which always sounds worse than it is. So I went outside, fired up the Coleman stove, on camera, naturally, this was supposed to be a camping show, and cooked up a nice batch of pasta with cream sauce, cheese, and chunks of spam. As we dined, it occurred to me that all that fallen water had to go somewhere and that our canoe was beached perhaps a little too close to the river. I took a look. A good idea. The river had risen two feet, was lapping at one end of the canoe, and was charging madly past. 
I pulled the boat another four feet higher and stuck a stick at the water's edge to check for a further rise. There was none, so I went back up to camp to brew some coffee. The Connecticut River, a great wandering seam running between New Hampshire and Vermont, is probably the most underutilized recreational resource in both states. I'm not sure why, unless perhaps it hasn't yet outlived its former reputation as the most beautifully landscaped sewer in the Northeast. Or it could be that prospective overnight travelers on the river are daunted by the prospect of looking for a campsite on private lands where they may not be welcome. They needn't worry nowadays. The Connecticut River Watershed Council coordinates the efforts of several conservation organizations in our part of the river, and the Upper Valley Land Trust obtained the rights to campsites and now maintains them with local volunteers. Our campsite that rainy evening on Howard Island, about two miles downstream from Wells River, is monitored by one Hemlock Pete, a paddling enthusiast who runs a canoe and kayak business in North Haverhill. A day earlier, Pete had promised by email to visit us that evening with ice cream, but the storm has foiled that plan. We'll do it another time. On a hot, muggy morning, Jonathan and I loaded up our canoe just below the power dam at East Drygate and paddled about seven easy miles down past Wells River to Howard Island. Well, not too easy. I'd brought the big 20-foot wooden canvas old town on the theory that it would make a more stable platform for Jonathan's video camera. But the building thunderstorms gave us a wind right in our faces, and I'd forgotten that videographers don't paddle much. They've got a different job to do. I was feeling my age by nightfall. We plodded along, talking, again on camera, about the geology of the river, which is fascinating in its own right. Then there's its history, from the centuries of Abenaki habitation through its exploration, the French and Indian War, and the river's subsequent development and subjugation by power dams. We battled the cranky cross currents at Woodsville, just as the log drivers had 100 years earlier, and we almost lost count of the birds, three kinds of swallows, blackbirds, blue herons, kingfishers, hawks, and one huge bald eagle. Still, it was a pleasure when we spotted the little sign marking our campsite. We were never quite out of hearing of the highways on either side of the river, but the island seemed isolated and away from things. It was almost a guilty pleasure that most people know so little about this lovely river flowing right through their midst. Thanks for listening, friends. If you're looking for a little more outdoor adventure, you can always watch the latest Windows to the Wild on nhpbs.org slash windows. Words from the Wild with Willem Lang is brought to you by New Hampshire PBS and the Marlon Fitzwater Center for Communication at Franklin Pierce University.